Good morning. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 5, and I'll ask that you stand in honor of the reading of God's Word for a few minutes. The scripture passage this morning is lengthy. It's Acts, chapter 5, verse 12, through the end of the chapter, verse 42. Now, many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats. That as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. But the high priest rose up and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested or laid hands on the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, An angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now, when the high priest came and all those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported, we found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now, when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charge you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than man. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this. They were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Theudas rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, 
and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan of this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his precious word. The apostles are back at the temple. They are preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ at Solomon's portico. The last time they had preached in this place was in chapter 3 in Acts. When Peter and John came across the crippled man who was asking for alms. And you'll recall Peter said, silver and gold have I none, but what I have I'll give to you. Rise and walk in the name of Jesus. And that crippled man typifying the resurrection of Christ was healed that very day. And he had been crippled for 40 years. 5,000 people were saved that day in the shadow of the temple. And Peter and John were arrested. And we noted when we were in that section of Acts that there are two responses people have to the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's the response that the audience had at Pentecost where The brother said, brothers, what shall we do? And there's the response that the chief priests had in chapter four, where they said, what shall we do with these men? And now they're back unflinching after being charged to stop preaching in the name of Jesus and undeterred after the tragedy of Ananias and Sapphira. So the apostles are at the temple. They're healing the sick. They're casting out demons. This is the body of Christ doing the work of Christ through the spirit of Christ. It's what Acts is all about. This is the very way Jesus came announcing the kingdom, preaching the good news, casting out demons and healing the sick, all to fulfill that which was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and he bore our diseases. Whenever we see these types of miracles and acts, they're occurring for two reasons. One is to verify the messianic claims of Christ. And what are those? That he is the son of God. That he has come to redeem his people from their sins. That he has come to die and be raised on the third day in accordance with. With the scriptures and that he has come and will have all authority handed to him. And that has happened upon his ascension. So one is to verify the messianic claims of Christ and two, these miracles occur to validate apostolic authority that these men have been endowed by God and commanded to share the good news of Jesus Christ and command all to repent And by doing this, by preaching in the temple this day, they're fulfilling the mission given to them by our Lord. For when Jesus first sent out the apostles, he said, and proclaim as you go, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse leprosy, cast out demons. And these phenomenal miracles are beyond what had ever been seen in Israel. Fulfilling what Jesus promised. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Christ's apostles have gone to the temple, that symbol of God's presence with his people, the building of stone that would tumble in a generation. And they are preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. They are healing every disease and they are leading man after man and woman after woman into a saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, they run up against their earthly accusers, the Sadducees. Luke says the high priest, this denier of the resurrection, rose up. He uses the Greek word there, anistomy. Luke had previously told of the pair of angels in dazzling raiment at the empty tomb of Christ. He is not here, they said, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified. And on the third day, rise anistomy. But where Christ rose in victory over sin and death, filled with the spirit of truth, the high priest rose up, rose up filled with jealousy. And hungry for power. For the high priest rose up not like Christ, but like Theudas rose up. And just like Theudas, he claims to be somebody. The high priest's followers, just like his, will be scattered when the temple is destroyed. The high priest rose up just like Judas the Galilean. And he would likewise perish. This high priest rising up would not be life coming from death, for he was spiritually dead. And when he rose up, he was a dead man walking. And there was a motif of filling in Luke's writing. In Acts alone, we've read that all who were gathered at Pentecost were filled with the Holy Spirit. Once Peter healed the crippled man by the power of the spirit, all who saw it were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened. Peter was filled with the spirit the first time that he gets arrested. And the whole church was filled with the Holy Spirit when they gathered to pray after Peter and John were released from prison. And of course, Ananias' heart was filled with deceit by the father of lies. And now the high priest is filled with jealousy. And why is the high priest and those Sadducees, why are they filled with jealousy? They are filled with jealousy because the apostles have filled Jerusalem with the gospel. And the only way Rome will permit these Sadducees to keep playing church is if they have control over all the people. And this new kingdom of priests that's been created by Christ 
threatens the Sadducean hold on their earthly power. So these jealous priests arrest the apostles. Literally, they lay their hands on them. Now, the apostles in Acts, when they're laying their hands on people, it's to heal them. It's to commission church leaders and missionaries. It's to convey the power of the Holy Spirit on those newly converted. When the high priest and later Herod Agrippa lay hands on God's people, it is inevitably for violence and destruction. The apostles then were placed in a public prison to be held through the night with thieves and savage men. But God had a plan for these men, these apostles, and they are miraculously released, typifying the resurrection of Christ, for they were entombed in a prison and set free by the power of God. And an angel tells them what they're to do. Not to go home, not just stand there and bask in the miracle. They are to go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. They're not released as some simple display of power or might, but toward a particular end, the declaration of the gospel of life and the forgiveness of sins. For anyone going right back to the temple, ostensibly controlled by the men who killed Christ, This would be a terrifying task. But these men have witnessed the resurrection. And more importantly, they have been given new life by the Spirit of God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin... The spirit is life because of righteousness. God has made these men alive in Christ. And he made them alive to accomplish his will. And when Christ made you alive, it was so that you may be used by him, a vessel of honor fit for glory. For even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, he might show his immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, so that no man may boast. For we are his what? Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And these apostles were created for this good work. And dear friend, you have been created for the good work of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ to any ear that comes near. And the apostles knew they had gone from death to life, and they were committed to preaching the gospel of life to all those who were spiritually dead. For they knew that the Spirit of God would vivify all those chosen by the Father before the foundation of the world, redeemed by Christ on that tree, 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he what? Chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. These men knew the truth that Paul would later pen. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds, he wrote, on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So when they're released, it's no surprise that they waste no time. For they enter the temple at daybreak. They are eager to do the work of Christ. And they are fearless of the consequences. And here we should note that you have been given new life. And you need to get about doing the good works that God has prepared for you to do, for which you were created in Christ Jesus. Ask yourself, are you heeding God's call this morning? God's call that you share the gospel with all those around you. God's call that you live the gospel in your daily lives. God has called each of you to this good work, and you need to examine yourselves this morning. While the apostles were preaching, while they're preaching the good news, the high priests and the Sadducees are conspiring. They're scrambling to hold power, not appreciating that they were already defeated. So they gather the Sanhedrin. They send word to bring the prisoners, no doubt thinking they'd be frog marched in, humiliated, ready to capitulate. But just like the tomb of Christ, their prison cell was empty. And when the tomb was empty, the chief priests paid blood money to Roman soldiers to lie and say the disciples had stolen the body. But that seditious lie won't work here. There are too many witnesses at the jail and the Sadducees don't want to blame themselves. But they didn't need to form a search team. They didn't need to go look. They wouldn't have to wait long. For someone says, look, they're in the temple teaching the people. And so they're brought back and they're brought back gently. For keep in mind that the Sadducees hold on power is really contingent upon placating the people. And they're worried that the people are going to stone them that very hour. And so these apostles are brought back to the council, to the Sanhedrin, to face the priests. They're calling to mind Jesus' first sermon when these men have just been released from prison. And perhaps Christ's first sermon is in their mind where Jesus grabs the scroll and says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of our Lord's favor. Today, Jesus said, this has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now, do you know what they tried to do to Jesus after that sermon? They tried to kill him after his first public sermon. 
Now these men who paid 30 pieces of silver to the son of perdition to betray our Lord, these men who thought they'd save themselves by crucifying the savior of the world, they're trying to blister Peter and Paul, Peter and the apostles. These men who are filled with jealousy ask those who are filled with the spirit why they've filled Jerusalem with the gospel. They're not worried about their own sin. They're not curious about the truths of Christ's kingdom. They just want to make sure the crowds don't rise up against them. The Sadducees think that the temple is indestructible. But but they know that their hold on the people is not and depends entirely upon their control of the sacrifices. They're worried not about the salvation of Israel, nor do they hope for a deliverer of Zion. Their concern was about an uprising. Their concern was about a potential rebellion. Thus, the statement, you intend to bring this man's blood on us. This is a holy, risible claim to Peter. These men turned Jesus over to that pusillanimous Pilate who refused to do what was right, but declared, I am innocent of this man's blood. And we read the chilling response of the people after this was said. His blood be on us and on our children. Moreover, Peter is completely indiscriminate about who he blames for the death of Christ. In his first sermon, there are Jews gathered from all over the known world in Jerusalem for Pentecost. And Peter says this Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. That's to a group of people, most of whom never may have never even heard of Jesus. Then in his second sermon to the crowd at Solomon's portico, Peter says, but you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. Then in Peter's third sermon in Acts chapter four to the chief priest, Peter says, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead by him, this man, that crippled man, is standing here well. Three sermons, three times he's blamed his audience, no matter who it is, for the crucifixion of Christ. And now Peter will do so again in his fourth sermon because he knows the power of God is so much greater than that of man. Thus, Peter opens his sermon by declaring that he and the apostles must obey God rather than man. The Sadducees consider themselves to be the voice of God in the house of God, overseeing the sacrifices to God. But Peter knew as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer a spiritual sacrifice acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And these unlearned fishermen tell these studious priests a simple truth, that God is their highest authority. The Lord is king forever and ever, David sings. The psalmist says, I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. 
And he warns, put not your trust in princes in whom there is no salvation. For it is the Lord, he says, who will reign forever. The boldness displayed by the apostles here is not some brazen hubris, but words given to them by the spirit of God. When Jesus first sent out the apostles, he warned, behold, I am sending you out as sheep amidst the what? So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. You'll be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. He says, when they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. So what do they preach? What did the spirit of God have them say? That Jesus Christ is resurrected from the dead. That Jesus Christ has been resurrected by the power of God. That the God of our fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of the living has raised this Jesus Christ. They preach the simple foolishness of the resurrection. And yes, Peter, for the fourth time in in his fourth sermon, blames his audience for killing Christ. Peter also declares to these men, these men who have declared fealty to Caesar and Herod, that Christ is king enthroned in heaven. Peter wrote the resurrected Christ is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities and powers having been subjected to him. Peter had already preached at Pentecost that David being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with it with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne. He foresaw and spoke about the resurrected Christ. And why does this sovereign Savior reign? To give repentance to Israel and for forgiveness of sins. Paul said of heretics that would arise that they should be corrected with gentleness so that God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of truth. Repentance is a tender mercy from heaven. It is a gift. No honey-tongued preacher can get somebody to repent. True repentance is a gift of God. The apostles further declare that they are witnesses to these things. That is, they're witnesses to the resurrection of Christ. They are witnesses to who killed Christ. There are witnesses that Jesus Christ is exalted by God, that Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father in heaven, that Jesus is our Savior, that Jesus came to give repentance, and that he gave his life as a ransom for many for the forgiveness of sins. And not only are Peter and the apostles witnesses to these things, but so is the Holy Spirit who does not reside in a temple made by hands, but in the hearts of God's people. Those who obey God through the spirit of righteousness. We read, of course, 
what the response is of these chief priests. They're enraged. Now, the Bible teaches that we are to promiscuously preach the gospel and make a general call to all men to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus for salvation. And though men are responsible when they reject that call, we know, we know that the only call that truly saves is the effectual call of the Holy Spirit. For it is only the Holy Spirit that can change the hearts of men from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. So we declare with Paul that he saved us. We do not save ourselves. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. By the washing of regeneration, that is taking that which was old and making it new and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. But these men are hardened. As the poet said, their eyes are cold as polished chrome, their ears as dull as lead, and their hearts of stone were left alone when the gospel's read. When wicked and unrepentant men hear the gospel, they do everything they can, every futile act they can muster to stifle the spirit of God. So they want to kill God's messengers. Just like they slayed God's son. Then the brilliant, erudite teacher of the law, Gamaliel, stands up. Calls the Sanhedrin into executive session. Kicking the apostles out of earshot. And he basically says, this is either something or it's nothing. And if it's something, there ain't anything you can do. If it's nothing, there ain't anything you got to do. And the Sadducees listen to him, basically. But these are not men of peace and goodwill. For they order the apostles beaten and tell them again to not speak in the name of Jesus. Remember, the Sadducees hate the doctrine of the resurrection generally. And they really hate the resurrection of Christ. So perhaps it's appropriate since the apostles begin this story preaching in Solomon's portico to quote Solomon, who's personifying wisdom, who says, whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. Where the story begins with the Sadducees filled with jealousy. It ends with the apostles filled with joy, not dread. They left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. The name. The name that is above every other name. The name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Blessed or happy are those persecuted for righteousness sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you, every one of you. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice 
and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And so every day we read in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. And that is our charge as well, that in this church, in every small group represented here, in every household represented here, in every occupation and workplace represented here, that we are to never cease teaching, preaching through word and deed that Jesus is the Christ And there's perhaps no better way to publicly display our belief that Jesus is the Christ than by celebrating the Lord's table. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Take the kneelers in front of you. And if the men who are going to help with the table will go ahead and come forward. Father, thank you for saving us. Thank you for your son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for the sacrifice on the cross. We praise you. We praise you because your name is above every name. And that you sit enthroned in heaven. And all authority has been subjected to Christ Bless us this morning as we take the bread and the cup. And bless us this week that we may glorify Christ in all things that we say and do.